Can you believe how many songs have been written about that? Did you recognize most of those? Work. Now, work is a word that brings many things to mind, and if the surveys are right, mostly negative things. In fact, in the most recent survey I read, did you know that 65% of American workers are unhappy with their work? That's true regardless of the profession. Doctors, homemakers, secretaries, salespeople, blue-collar workers, managers, and yes, even pastors. You name it. We are discontent with our work. You know, many people go to work, quite honestly, because they have no other choice, right? It's like Pastor Jeff sang a couple weeks ago, and we heard it in that little medley, I-O, I-O, so it's off to work, I go. Now that negative view about work is nothing new to our society. In fact, did you know that the ancient Greek culture considered work to be a curse? The word literally, panos, in the Greek means punishment. How many of you like that definition of work today? Work is like a punishment. Now obviously that is a sad understanding of work because maybe you know this as well. The average person will spend 100,000 hours of their lives working. Let me say that differently. That is one-third of our lives doing something that many of us consider to be punishment. Is that how it's supposed to be? According to the Bible, the answer is no. In fact, if you use message notes, if you're following along, the first line there on your notes is that God intended work to be a vital part of our lives. God intended work to be a vital part, an important part of who we are. Among other things, let me just mention, work was designed to develop our character. Work is intended to give us meaning. Work is a way that we can obviously provide for the physical and material needs of others and ourselves. And lastly, work is a pathway, believe it or not, that God wants to use in our lives in order to mature us and grow us up as disciples. Now you may be wondering, why in the world are we talking about work here at church? Well, the reason for that is we're in the middle of a series we started this year with called Whole. And we're doing this series because we are declaring war against this mentality that says I can compartmentalize my life into different areas and say God is involved in the spiritual side of things while he doesn't have to be involved in the secular side of things, right? And we do this amazing thing where we compartmentalize our lives into sacred and secular and we've discovered there is no such compartmentalizing in the Bible, in God's word. God wants to be a part of our whole lives. And he wants us to have wholeness in our lives and that means letting him be lord now the core reason in my opinion we're doing this series is because of what i just said there this separating we do between sacred and secular and in my opinion there's probably no issue that we do that more with than this issue of work right i mean what on earth does spirituality have to do with what i do on the office monday through friday or whatever i mean I, for me you guys all go well that's easy for you you know, you're a pastor, of course your work and God are connected, but I can tell you honestly, you'd be amazed how many things I can do without the Lord. But God wants to be a part of our whole lives. It's the reason we're doing this series. We are simply stewards, that's what we've been discovering, that just means managers of all we have and all we've been given, and work is included in that. And so what I hope we can do this morning, again, if you're following on your notes, is that we can start to see that our work can honor the Lord. No matter what it is, we can honor the Lord with our work and it can also grow us spiritually. 
It can also grow us spiritually. Now, before we dig in, I'm going to just mention something real quick. When I use the word work, I'm using it in its broadest sense, right? I'm not just talking about what we get paid for or our jobs. So, for example, if you are a student here, how many students we have with us this morning? If you're a student, listen, that is your work. If you are a stay-at-home parent, you don't get paid for that, but that is a vitally important work that you're doing. Maybe you're retired and say, this has nothing to do with me. I guarantee you're probably volunteering somewhere or you're interacting with some people somewhere. That is also a kind of work. And in all those areas, the, the big sense of the word, we can honor the Lord and God can use that to glorify himself and to grow us spiritually if we let him. And so that's going to be my prayer for us this morning as we dig in to this issue. In fact, let's just give this time over to the Lord now. Would you bow with me? Lord, I'm going to be the first to confess it's so easy for me to separate work from you. And yet you're reminding us that you want to be a part of our whole lives. So Lord, as we look at this area of work, whatever our work may be, help us to see that it really is something we can honor you with. And it really is something that you use in our lives to grow us and mature us as we declare war on shallow Christianity. Do that this morning, we pray, by the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you this morning, I'm going to actually have us turn to the easiest place you've ever had to turn to in your Bible while attending Cherry Hills. Genesis 1. Can you do that? Very first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. I want to start at the very beginning because I think before we even get into the attitudes we need to have about work and the motive and all that, we need to get a right understanding about work. Where is all this negativity coming from when it comes to work? 65% discontent. Is that the right understanding we should have about work? Well, right in the beginning, God had something to say about work, and I want to look at that. Look at Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 26. So God has created light, water, land, plants, animals. We get to verse 26, which says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now skip down to verse 2 of chapter 2, if you would. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, the first thing I want us to notice, if we are to understand rightly, if we're going to understand work rightly, if you're following on your notes, is that we were created in God's image, male and female, created in God's image, and God is a worker. We saw it there. I wanted you to get a flavor. God is a worker, right? So I want us to understand, listen, there's something innate in us as human beings. There is a desire, a drive, a passion to create, to provide. There's something deep within each and every one of us as human beings that finds meaning and work. And the reason for that is we were created in God's image and God himself was a worker. And by the way, I love how he also sets the example for us there. Did you notice the balance he had? He worked and then what did he do? He rested. And yet so many of us think, well, I don't have to do the second part. 
God himself rested. We're going to talk more about that balance in a middle, but just for now, skip down now again to Genesis 2, verse 15. Actually, read it out loud with me, but I'm going to continue reading a little bit after that. On your notes, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now skip down to verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. I've talked about this before, but that's like a really interesting idea right there, isn't it? I, mean, I always pictured Adam, you know, at six in the morning, his creative juices are flowing, so we get things like hippopotamus, <laughs> rhinoceros. By the end of the day, it's like, cat, <laughs> dog, I don't, I don't know anymore. I'm way off track right now. Here's the point I really wanted us to see from that. Even before the fall, did you notice? When sin entered into the human race, God's plan involved work for us. If you're on your notes, God's design for us always included work. I don't know what you picture when you picture the Garden of Eden, but if you picture Adam and Eve kind of sipping their <laughs> drinks out on the beach, it's the wrong understanding. From the very first thing God does with Adam is he places them in the garden and he says, work it, till it. Physical labor, right? It's, it's what God has them do. And then he also has them, that's why I wanted us to get a flavor for this, he has them involved in some intellectual labor as well, or creative labor, I don't know what to call it, with the naming of the animals. And I wanted to point that out because that's a very important thing we need to point out today. Today we elevate certain positions above others, right? Certain kinds of work are more important than others. But if you're following on your notes, Scripture doesn't elevate any job above another. All work is important. All work is good. Scripture doesn't elevate any job above another. In fact, there is dignity in all types of work. If you read through the Bible, you get to see a wide range of vocations, don't we? David was what? A shepherd. That was not a trick question. You can interact here. Paul, you remember what Paul did? What was he? A tent maker. Lydia. Anybody? She was a retailer. She sold purple fabrics. Daniel, check this out, Daniel worked for the government and people still liked him. <laughs> Mary was a mother. Jesus was, of course, a carpenter and a teacher. Scripture doesn't elevate certain work higher than any other. We have to remind ourselves in this society we live in today, don't we? God's eyes, listen, whatever your work is, whatever your work is, there is dignity in that. There's dignity in that. And as we look back at God's plan from us from the beginning, all I want us to rightly understand, to have the right understanding, we have to understand that in God's eyes, work is a positive thing. Yes, it became harder when sin entered into the world. That was part of the curse. But from the very beginning, work was part of God's design, and he views it positively. Is that how you view it? Is that your understanding of work? Well, with the right understanding comes the right attitude. What kind of attitude should we have as work? And for that, I'll invite you to turn into the New Testament to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. This is where we were last week with Pastor Jeff, but just to remind you, you're going almost to the end, about four-fifths of the way back, and you'll run into letters like Galatians and Philippians and Colossians. Pause when you hit Ephesians, and we're in chapter 6, 
starting in verse 5 together. Now, I just want to mention in this section of Ephesians, Paul is in the middle of what's called his household rules. He's describing to families, Christian families, how they are to interact and live with one another. And so earlier we see him talking to husbands and wives. He addresses children and parents. And by the way, in the next two weeks, we're going to be addressing those two relationships as well. How do we steward our marriages? How do we steward our families? So that's the next two weeks. But in the passage we're looking at, Paul then addresses slaves and masters. And you go, what? Why are we looking at this? I know many people have actually wondered, well, why doesn't Paul just come out and condemn slavery? Because you know what? What we bring into it is our understanding of slavery from our country, right? The atrocity that it was, the evil thing that it was. Now, I can't get into it. I wrote a big paper on slavery in the first century in college, so if you want to talk more after the service, I'd love to do that with you. I'm sure it would be exciting stuff for you. (laughs) But let's just, let me just say this. There's a lot more similarities between the employee and employer relationship and what Paul's writing here and the idea of slavery back then. I mean, slavery had existed for centuries. Most of the slaves had the opportunity to be set free. 50% of them, in fact, were free by the age of 30. It was just a part of common society. It's not like the kind of evil and atrocity that took place in our country that needed to be eradicated. And so that's why I think we can look to passages like that and see things that we can glean from it that... Apply more to our situation as work and workers. And by the way, I will just say, Paul, twice in the New Testament, speaks against the evil of slavery in the bad sense, especially when it came to slave trading. In fact, in the passage we're looking at this morning, this would have been revolutionary. Not only does he address slaves and how they should act towards their masters, but he actually addresses the masters. And you know what he says to them? Treat your slaves exactly how you want them to treat you. You know that? That's a golden rule, right? Treat your slaves exactly how you want them to treat you. That's what Paul says to the masters. So all that's to say, I could talk more and more about that, but let's just say there's more similarities between our work here than there is between the African-American slavery that took place in this country. So with that, you're going to discover, if you're falling on your notes, that when it comes to our work, our attitude is everything. When it comes to our work, our attitude is everything. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Now, read verse 6 out loud with me on your notes. It says, Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Now look down at verse 9. And masters, Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. In these verses, I see three key attitudes we need to bring with us into our work. These are the right kind of attitudes. The first one, whether your work is a paid job or not, these are the attitudes we have. The first one is we should respect those in authority. Ugh, right? Respect those in authority. Do you see it in verse 5? It says, conduct yourselves with fear and respect. Now, listen, this isn't like cowering fright in the corner. It's not blind trust that no matter what this person says, I'm supposed to do. But the bottom line is, as Christians, we honor those. We honor those who are placed in a position of authority over us. And yes, that's true whether or not they're a Christian. 
And it's true whether or not you think they've even earned your respect. Now, I grew up in a generation, Generation X. I know there's younger generations now. I don't know all your names. But I think you've been growing up in the same culture where we are actually taught the opposite of this, right? I was taught the opposite. I mean, there are bumper stickers that are still around today that say what? Not respect authority, but question authority. Question authority. Authority can't be trusted. Authority doesn't deserve to be trusted. And I'm not going to say there's never a time where that's true. It is true at certain times, but listen, there better be a good reason. The general rule of thumb in Scripture, you can look at all different kinds of passages when it starts talking about this, is that we are to respect those that God has put in a position of authority over us. Think about some of the biblical examples. Joseph worked for who? The Pharaoh. Daniel worked for Nebuchadnezzar, among others. Nehemiah. I mean, there's many people who worked for people who they probably didn't agree with everything they did or said, and yet they still respected their authority. Of course, the respect ended when? When they were asked to do something outside of God's bounds. I mean, I always think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that instance, right? They showed great respect until Nebuchadnezzar told them, you better bow down to this idol. You need to worship me. And they said, that's where we draw the line. That goes against our law. That goes against our belief in Christ. And so the same attitude should be ours, right? Generally, we are to show respect to those in authority unless they are asking us to do something outside of the bounds of our morality. It's like Peter said, obey God rather than human beings. But overall, but overall, as Christians, we are to respect others. Now, I ask the question, why? Why does this have to be my attitude? This stinks. And as I looked at different passages in Thessalonians and Peter, you can read some of those for yourself. But here's the answer I came up with. If you're falling on your notes, it's because often our workplaces are also our greatest mission field. That makes sense, doesn't it? Often our workplaces are also our greatest mission field. When we do our work carefully and respectfully then, it is a testimony to others about our faith, a quiet testimony perhaps, but a testimony nonetheless. Think again about Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, I reference it there. I mean, by the end of this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar, the most pagan king you can ever imagine, is asking Daniel to explain to him more about his God. Why? Because Daniel had these attitudes of respect and integrity and other things. Friends, it doesn't matter what your life is like on Sunday all the time. What really matters to the outside world is what it's like to work with you, to work for you, to work alongside of you. Would people see a disconnect between what you say and do on Sunday morning and what you're saying and doing Monday through Saturday? The bottom line is there should be no disconnect for the Christian. We should be known as people of respect. I'll move on. The second attitude we're to have, if you're following, is that we should work hard. We should work hard as Christians. I saw this uh, sign somebody had. I think it was at their desk. You might not be able to read it, but it says, always give 100% at work, 12% on Monday, 23% on Tuesday, 40% on Wednesday, 20% Thursday, and 5% on Friday. That's not to be 
the attitude of the Christian. We are to be known as hard workers. Some of you know uh, these verses. We've talked about them often here at our church from Proverbs chapter 6. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Just give it to us, man. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler. Listen, they don't even need a boss, do they? To make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. Be like the ant. Work hard. You know, I believe too many younger people today, and this is part, again, of what I grew up in, is I just came to the conclusion at some point in my life that I was entitled to certain things, right? I deserve certain things, or it was just going to happen. The American dream was just going to happen for me, whether or not I worked for it or not. And friends, God says, that's not our attitude. Be like the ant. I love how Thomas Edison once said, I know many of you know this quote, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. We don't want to work hard. But Ecclesiastes 9.10, which is on your notes, reminds us, friends, would you read it out loud? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I read a commentary this week on Ephesians 6, the passage we're looking at, and it said that Christian workers were the most sought-after workers in the Roman first century. Why? Because they understood this and they worked hard. Does that describe us today? I just talked to a guy after the first service who hires hundreds of people, and he said, I hate to tell you this, but whenever I hear somebody say they're a Christian, I almost want to run. Because in his experience, he's found Christians to be some of the laziest. What? We worship God when we work, right? And he asks us to work hard. Now, because it's Super Bowl Sunday... I'm going to show you what is the greatest Super Bowl commercial ever done. It has everything to do with what we're talking about this morning. You're just going to have to bear with me. But there was a company that was struggling with laziness in the workplace. And so they decided to do something a little bit out of the extreme in order to fix it. So take a look at this commercial. Just getting you ready for this afternoon, okay? But we shouldn't need Terry Tate, should we? I mean, some businesses honestly do. But as Christians, we shouldn't need Terry Tate to keep us working hard. Of course, I mentioned this earlier, but needless to say, there's got to be a balance in our life with this. I mean, the extreme of working hard is what? Workaholism. Turning that into an idol. And God set the model for us in the very beginning, though. We need to have rest. In fact, I'll just say, there are priorities that take precedence over our work, right? Our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with our family takes precedence over our work. And so if you're finding yourself struggling in those areas, maybe you're a really hard worker, but you need to reallocate some of your time and energy because you found yourself working too hard that your top priorities are missing. But where to be bottom line is as Christians, no more of this running away or they're known to be lazy. We glorify God. We worship God if we work hard for Him and for His name. The third attitude we should carry with us into our work is that we should have integrity. Integrity. What's integrity? Famous definition, of course, is who you are when nobody else is looking, right? 
The Oxford English Dictionary says the word comes from the Latin integritas, which, check this out, it means wholeness, completeness, entireness, entirety. In other words, a, a person with integrity is not someone who's divided, that's duplicity, nor is it a person who pretends, that's called what? Hypocrisy. A person with integrity is someone who is the same all the time. What you see with a person in integrity is exactly what you get at home, at work, at church. It's all the same. It doesn't matter. They are whole. That's their complete selves. Friends, in uh, chapter 6 here, did you see? I want you to just notice in verse 6, you may circle this on your notes there. You see that statement, when their eye is on you? Do you see that? That's one word in the Greek, and literally it means eye service. You know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about eye service? When Paul's talking about eye service, what, what do you think that means? It means working really hard when the boss is watching in order to convince him that I'm a tough worker, a hard worker, but then when his back's turned, I can do whatever I want. I don't have to work so hard. That's eye service, and Paul forbids it. I'd love to tell you that I've always been a really hard worker and had character and integrity. Not true. Not true for me growing up early in life. I worked a number of jobs. One of them, I've shared this before, was at a deli. And I worked with some of my friends, which is always a recipe for disaster. And I absolutely took part in eye service. I mean, when the boss was there, whoo, you wouldn't have found a harder worker in that deli. And then when he would leave, I mean, we would just hang out. We'd talk. We would drink. I told this before. We'd drink Snapples, which the boss forbade us to drink because they cost so much money. It's not integrity. I actually uh, wrote him back a number of years ago and sent some money, the amount of money God impressed me to send him for what I felt like I had ripped him off. Friends, are we known as people of integrity? Paul says that whether or not somebody is watching you, your attitude should be the same in life all throughout. Listen, integrity means you keep your eye on your paper during the test, right? Integrity means you record and submit only the true figures from your expense account, even though it's pretty easy to bump them up a little bit. Integrity means that you keep your personal life pure and straight, no matter what the benefits might be if you fudge a little. Integrity means you work hard, whether or not anybody even notices. Integrity is hard stuff, isn't it? And yet it's what we're called to do. We are to be stewards of our workplace because God is ultimately worshipped in our attitudes. And that really leads us to the third area I want to address. So we got the right understanding. Work is a positive thing in God's eyes. We have the right attitude or attitudes. And then we have the right motive when it comes to work. And for me, this is really the key of this whole passage. It's the key to our understanding of why work is so important. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me in Ephesians 6. Paul says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving whom? The Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Or read how Paul says it in Colossians 3.23. It's just a little different, but read it on your notes. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. What is our motive 
for working? Why should we have the attitudes that I just mentioned? Because if you're following on your notes, in our work, we are actually serving the Lord. In our work, we are actually serving the Lord. This was revolutionary for me so many years back. When I show up, whatever it is, whatever my work is, I'm doing it for him, not for anyone else. I'm not doing it for the pay raise, though that might come, that's a good benefit. I'm not doing it to impress my boss, though that's a good benefit. Actually, the truth is, you want want me to be honest right now? Probably some of you know this already, when you work with character, when you work hard, and when you work with integrity, sometimes it actually doesn't lead to benefit. It leads to more hardship, because other people don't like that. Don't work so hard, you're making us look bad, right? Why do you respect him? He doesn't deserve your respect. Oh, come on, just fudge a little bit. We're going to stand out like Thor thumbs, but we do it. Why? Because we're working for the Lord, not for anyone else. Question, if Jesus were your boss when you showed up tomorrow morning, wherever it is, would your attitudes be different? Well, if you're a Christian, he is your boss. And he's there with you. And you can work for him in a way that honors him and glorifies him. Work can be, listen to this, a part of worship. It can be a part of our worship. One of my favorite quotes in regard to this is from Martin Luther King Jr. who once said, If it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Friends, if you're on your notes, when we do our work for Christ, we glorify him. When we do our work for Christ, we glorify him. And again, it doesn't matter what your work might be. You stay-at-home parent, you can glorify him. You can do your work for him. You're a student, you can glorify him in your work. When you do your work for him, whatever it is, the attitude, the motive we have as Christians is I am doing this for you and for no other reason. Now, there's an added benefit to this. Maybe you saw it there in verse 8. If you're on your notes there, God will reward those who work faithfully for him. There's a reward waiting. So maybe those attitudes won't be recognized here on earth. Maybe you'll be shunned for showing respect and working hard and having integrity. But there is one who is watching everything that you do. And he will reward you for the way that you work for him. I love how someone once said, Work as unto the Lord. The pay is not always great, but the retirement benefits are out of this world. Now, I hate to tell some of you this, but you know that in Matthew 25, the passage that we looked at to start this series, it says that our work here isn't going to be finished on earth. I'm just the messenger. That actually, God is preparing a work that he designed just for you when you spend eternity with him in heaven. And part of what our work on earth does is prepare us for that. We're not going to be strumming harps as we talked about. We are going to be engaged in different things. 
And so God is preparing us. So why not start now? Do our work as unto the Lord. Do our work as unto the Lord because that's exactly the opportunity we're going to be given when we are in eternity with him. As we close, just remind us, we've been saying in this series, God wants to be involved in every area of our lives, our whole lives, including the area of work. How's that going for you? Here are some questions I spent some time pondering this week. Perhaps you can do that now or while we're taking communion, but just think about some of these questions for a minute. Would I work with more respect, diligence, and integrity if Jesus were my boss? Number two, how is my witness? Honestly, how is my witness with my fellow employees, with my employer, with those who work for me? Does what I say on Sunday morning really match the rest of my week? Number three, am I working too much? that I'm neglecting the higher priorities God has for me. Or on the flip side of that, number four, am I just being lazy? Am I only working hard when others are watching or to impress? And then finally, and most importantly, number five, am I stewarding my work at a level, and ex- at a level of excellence that glorifies the Lord? Those are some of the questions I just want to leave with us for us to ponder. Maybe you can do that, as I said, as we take communion in a minute. I'll close with a story, a familiar story to many of you. There was once a man walking down the street, and he walked by this work site where there were three men all doing the same thing. And he stopped, and he asked the first guy, and he said, what are you doing? He says, what does it look like? I'm chipping stone. Oh, okay. He walks on to the next guy. He says, well, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm building a wall. Okay. And he goes to the third guy. He says, well, what are you doing? He stops and looks at him and says, I'm building a cathedral for the Lord. What happens when we have the right understanding, the right attitudes, and the right motive for our work? We stop chipping stone, and we start building cathedrals for the Lord. That's the question I'll leave us with this morning. If you're on your notes, do I have the right understanding? Work is good. It's positive. It's how God develops us. The right attitudes or attitude. Respect. Work hard. Integrity. And motive towards work. I do it for Christ. Everything I do, I can do as an act of worship for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I never thought I'd pray this in my life, but I thank you for the gift of work. Thank you that you have given us ways to find meaning. You've given us ways to grow and mature. You've given us a very practical way that we can glorify you in everything that we do. Lord, would you help us as we walk out of this place have the right understanding, the right attitude, and the right motive. Whatever our work may be, God, let us do it to the glory of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.